what are we in? Right, so this is quite interesting actually. If you're visiting for the first time, it might shock you what I'm going to speak on today. But I really felt that uh, I was supposed to, so we've got to listen to God. But since we planted Hope Church, uh, we've seen God do the most extraordinary things. We really have. We've seen people visiting who've never set foot in a church. I've had lots of conversations with people in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and just going, you know, the last time that I came through the doors of a church was when I was forced to at chapel services when I was a teenager. And uh, we've had others who've come from the most difficult backgrounds, who've given their lives to the Lord, people getting baptized, people exploring faith and having no thought process at all of what the Christian faith is. And as they've explored, come to faith and it's been the most exciting thing to see. So we're just so excited. And on top of that, and the reason I want to share this a bit is we've been blown away by the financial generosity that we've seen just in these 10 months. It's really, it's, it's difficult to explain, but can I tell you the first gift that we received when we planted Hope Church uh, was $10. A young single lady came and she gave us $10 and she said, this is because I, I want this to go towards the, the Hope Church plant. And for us, it was the first gift that we received. It was the most encouraging gift that we received from one lady. This is what she had. She didn't have a lot of money. And she gave that towards the church. We were overjoyed. And since then, we've had people that we don't even know who have got in touch with us. And uh, in fact, we had a Zoom chat with these people. Never met them face to face. They just heard randomly as a side note that Hope Church was getting planted. And they just said, what do you guys need? So I obviously sat there and I went, okay, well, um, you know, I mean, if you're really asking... Uh, well, a laptop would be useful so that we could do projection and maybe a projector. We might need to buy a few things. They're like, no, 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 what do you need? So we're like, no, those are needs. Uh, and they're like, but don't you need vehicles? Don't you need like, um, you know, sound equipment? We, we'd never meet these people face to face. They gave the, 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 um, the church a car and they still keep saying, what else do you guys need? Um, and, and it's amazing to see those sorts of things. Each month we have people who give tens, which is hugely generous for them. We have people who give thousands, uh, which is amazing. Some friends uh, this week came to us and for the first time they just said, well, well, how do we start giving? What do we do? And they started giving uh, to the church, which is amazing. We've had some large one-off donations. I'll share about that later. We've had offers from others to buy sound equipment and they just keep offering. Um, we've had people saying, what do you need? And we've had people saying, they just see a need around and they just say, that's on us. Oh, your uh, sound receiver isn't working properly, which, uh, not your sound, your digital receiver's not working properly. We've, we've done it already. Oh, you need this. We've already done it. You need this. We've already done it. It's just astounding. And uh, every avenue of generosity is an opportunity for us to see God's church advance within these walls and beyond. It's just so exciting to see. Uh, we want to be a river of God's blessing in the nation and beyond. And we've really seen the Lord do more than we could ask or imagine. And so on the back of that and at this, and as I was processing this, I, I actually really just felt led to speak about that terrifying M word in church. It's terrifying. It's this word called money. And uh, it, it, in church circles, it really does scare people. But the reason why I thought that we should do this today, and I'm excited about it, is we want as Hope Church to operate our resources in the wisest way in with the greatest level of stewardship and so we can see God's kingdom advance in the most amazing way. And so on the back of this, we actually also added two very capable men to our finance team. I will have you know, one is bunking because he's in South Africa, but I did want to highlight Mr. Mark Conway. Give it up for Mark Conway. You don't even know what he does on the finance team, but it's good to clap for him anyway. 
Um, but uh, it was so cool. Uh, we, we've had two amazing people, Colin Beattie, Rich Nichols. We want to add to the team and we want to keep adding uh, able people to the team who could really steward finance as well. But I had a chat with Mark. I just, he was on my heart. I thought, let me chat. And I just loved his response. He's like, you know, I really want to go home. I want to pray about this. I want to talk to Bridge because we want to do this if it's what God's saying and we want to give all that we can. And so he, over the weekend, came back to me on the Monday. He was just like, we're in. And so I'm so excited. I know God's going to do astounding things on the back of it, but thank you for that. It means a, a huge amount. And so it's a privilege and a joy to see. And so I was thinking and praying on this, and as I said, I thought we should speak into this. And you might say, but why? Why should we talk into this in a church setting? Why should we take a break from Mark to speak into it? And it's because actually money and possessions affect us all. They affect us directly, they affect us indirectly every single day. I would say for most of us, we either think about money and possessions or somehow that affects us every single day. I'd imagine it, whether we get into our car and we think we need to fill up with fuel, whether we don't have a car, we're working out, whether it's job, whether it's food that we have, whether it's how expensive Zimbabwe is, um, not all of Zimbabwe, you know, if there's some good guys here, I'm sure it's reasonable where you are. But we, we have these sorts of questions all the time. And there's the saying that says money makes the world go round. And in many ways, it's true. In many ways, it is. We're affected by this each and every day. And regardless of our wealth bracket or the demographic that we're in or the possessions that we have in our lives, we're affected. And God has an answer. He has an answer. So I thought 10 months in, we've never spoken about money and how we relate to it and how we should. So I thought better any time, um, you know, there's no, no better time than to do it now. And I think there are four key feelings that we have when money is mentioned, especially in church. And you're going to be in one of these four camps, hands down. Nobody's left yet. So that's good. Um, first one, when you hear the word money mentioned in church, I would say is concern. There's people that the minute that word is mentioned as church is concerned. It might remind you of the prosperity gospel that's rife in our city, that's on TV stations around the globe. It shouldn't be called the prosperity gospel because it isn't the gospel at all. Um, and that's valid. I would be concerned about that, and I am. It's terrible to see the abuse of people in the name of faith to generate personal wealth. It's unbiblical. And so if you're concerned about that, you should be. And don't worry, you're not going to start to see mine and Sarah's faces on billboards around the city. Um, Sarah might be keen on it, but I, I'm not. <laughs> You're not going to see Learjet travel coming out of things and designer clothing. Um, I think Woolworths in South Africa is about as designer as I get. Um, but some of you may also be concerned because you've had really bad church experiences. There's been some leadership scenarios in church. There's been some level of abuse. And because of that, you're just like, man, when it comes to leadership in the church, when it comes to money, that kind of terrifies me. So I'm really concerned. If you're in this camp of being concerned, firstly, I want to say I'm sorry about your experiences. And I'm sorry about what maybe is seen on billboards and TV that isn't the gospel of Jesus, but it's portrayed as the gospel. And I'm sorry about those things. You've got a right to be concerned about that. But I trust that at Hope, you'll find godly leadership where you can trust and be part of church family and where there won't be any concern for you in resources. Next group, you might feel just uncomfortable. So one would be concerned, the other is uncomfortable. And it's possible that you can feel uncomfortable when this topic is mentioned at church because either money is something that you never feel you have enough of or because your money and possessions have a really big hold on your life, the ones that you have. 
So you can feel uncomfortable when I mention this word because of two reasons. Number one, you're going, I never have enough each month. God's never come through for me. This is a real struggle in my life. And so you really struggle to relate God and money in this. And the rest, and then there might be some of you who just go, hmm, I just don't want there to be a challenge in my life that God might just want to do something with my money and my possessions. And so this makes me feel uncomfortable as well. Can I please encourage you to open your heart to him today? He loves you more than you can imagine. We sung today, he's a good father. He's got great plans for your life. Everything that um, he's given to you, he's got a plan for. And be open to what he might challenge you on. Be open to where he might speak to you on that today. Third group, you might just feel unsure or indifferent. You've come here today or you're exploring, you never heard money spoken about in church. And so for you, you're just a bit indifferent. I haven't heard this topic. I don't know what it's about. You know, I'm open to what it might say, but actually, I'm just not really sure. And I trust this will give you biblical clarity on this topic. And finally, some of you might be excited about this topic. Believe it or not, there's people who get very excited about the topic of money and generosity in the kingdom. There really is. So you might be excited. You, maybe you live a generous life. You love to bless people. You love God's church. You love charity. You love seeing God's kingdom extend. You love stewarding God's resources. And so actually, speaking about this is something that excites you. It gets you really excited. I know that Sarah and my testimony is from our early married life. And, and as we've gone on, we've just made it part of our lives that we just live generous. Whether we've got a lot, whether we've got a little, we just love that. We love to give. We love to give to God's church. And that's just part of our lives. And as part of just how we operate. So we actually get excited about this. We get excited about these sorts of topics. So you might be excited. Now, regardless of which camp you feel, don't you love that color scheme, eh? Do you love it, eh? Amazing. I'm very artistic. Um, <laughs> not at all. I just hope they see me match. I'm sure one of those was green. It's supposed to be green. The concerned one is green. But anyway, came out blue. Um, so regardless of which camp you feel you're in, I know Jesus wants to speak and he wants to challenge each of us in this area, in this topic of money and possessions. And scripture has an awful lot to say about money and possessions. From Genesis to Revelation, we see God address this topic. Jesus spoke about money about as much as he spoke about prayer, faith, hell. He spoke about money a huge amount. A lot of the parables that we speak about, they're either directly or indirectly related to money and how we manage money. If we can handle this resource wisely, it can become a place of great joy and great purpose in our lives. That's why God's given it to us. Unwisely, at best, it can become something that holds us back from living for Jesus. At worst, it can be something that actually leads us away from Jesus. And so that's why there's a passage that says money is the root of all evil. Is money evil? No, not at all. It's a resource. It's a great resource. We need it. We need to interact with it. But it can be a root of dangerous things in our lives if it's not in its proper context and so Jesus knows the hold it can have on us and so we want to speak right into that so before we dive into scripture let's look at some great quotes about money it's very quiet in here at the moment you can sense it some great quotes about money from different people in society and these are going to resonate with you on different ends of the scale first one Benjamin Franklin so you may know American president money never made a man happy yet nor will it the more a man has the more he wants Instead of filling a vacuum, it makes one. Benjamin Franklin, president. Sure, the singer, sure. I'm scared to death of being poor. It's like a fat girl who loses 500 pounds but is always fat inside. I grew up poor and will always feel poor inside. It's my pet paranoia. So you might be in that camp where actually your desire and your desperation for money is actually to fill a void from your childhood. This is by Anonymous. 
the real measure of your wealth is not how much you'd be, is, is not how it's gonna be on the screen. The real measure of your wealth is how much you'd be worth if you lost all your money. Amazing, the real measure. JD, uh, sorry, Will Smith. Money and success don't change people. They merely amplify what's already there. They already ampl- They just amplify what's in the heart. Comes out of you the more wealth and status you have. J.D. Rockefeller, hugely wealthy American, was at one stage the wealthiest. When asked how much money is enough by a reporter, he answered just a little bit more. And King Solomon, known to be the wealthiest that's ever lived, even trapped to present day, at the peak of his wealth, he said in Ecclesiastes, one of his writings, he says, I've seen all the things that are done under the sun, all of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. His wealth hadn't made him what he thought it would. So you can see there's varying perspectives on wealth from different people. And I believe God wants us to see our money and and, uh, possessions through a biblical grid, which we're gonna look at. Those four colors, a biblical grid. And I can guarantee you, if you handle your money and possessions and you look at them through this grid, not only will it be a safe place, but it'll be an effective place. It'll be an exciting, joyful place. This grid will help you to know what to purchase and what to not purchase, what to save, what to give away, what we want versus what we need, where to focus our lives and more. Honestly, from something like, only because I see Dean, a a golfer, I say from the type of golf clubs that you should buy to where you should go for a restaurant to where you should go on holiday to whether you should buy a home or buy another home to whether you should upgrade your car or not, this grid will help you in a huge way. So we're gonna dive into it. First part of the grid that we wanna look at. 10 minutes, don't worry, we'll get there on time. The first part of the grid, religion versus relationship. That's the first grid when we actually look at our finances and our possessions. You know, people have often said to me when I've had conversations, you know, Craig, I'm not very religious. And my answer will be, that's good, because neither am I. And people get a bit taken aback, but you're a pastor. You believe, I'm like, yes, I do believe in a relationship with Jesus, but not in religion which is following and obeying rules to try and get into a relationship with God. Two very different things. That's what I usually answer. You see, when the word religion is used, we're often asking what rules a certain person must follow in trying to get to a good relationship with an eternal being. That's often what we mean when we talk about religion. And if not getting close to God, it may be enlightenment, it may be reincarnation, it might be paradise. But following a religion is based on what you do and what, what, what you act on, your behavior in order for God to accept you. But the Christian life is completely different, polar opposite. And whilst it may be called a religion, Christianity might be called a religion, it's so important for us to note that fundamentally Christianity is very different to any other faith out there. Very, very different. And the reason is, is because Christianity says no matter how hard you try, you cannot earn yourself into a relationship with God. No matter how hard you try, you can never do it. You can't pray enough. You can't read your Bible enough. You can't do enough sacrifices and fasting. You'll never get there on your own. That's what Christianity says, and that's different to any other faith. It says that God's perfect and holy, that he can't be in the presence of sin. He's so good, he can't be near any sin and brokenness. And all of us would be honest to say, we have sin and brokenness. And, uh, but, you know, so we've got that. We're separated from God. No amount of doing or behaving will be able to fix that relationship. We can try, but we'll never reach that mark. And so Christianity says God stepped into our world to bridge the gap we couldn't, we couldn't get to on our own. That's why John 3 verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have 
eternal life. So because we would never be able to reach God's standard and because of his love for us, God gave his son Jesus. He came himself. He stepped down into our world. He gave everything, all of himself, his very life so that we could have that relationship right with him. He came and lived a perfect life. Then he died as a sacrifice for you and I. He paid the price that we could never pay so that we could be spiritually clean, so that divide could be crossed, that we could have a relationship with Jesus now and for all eternity. But why? Well, it's easier at the start because he loves us. He loves us. He's after relationship. He created us. He created the world for relationship. Not to look good, not to be some sort of machine that gets us to operate in a certain way. No, because he loves us. Each one of us. And if you're here today and you don't know what God thinks about you, he loves you. If you're here today and you think you've messed up too much at life, you're in the right place because he loves you. I have quite a few conversations with uh, some of my friends I play touch rugby with and they, they're just like none of us types could be in church. <laughs> what sort of people go there and they talk to each other like, no, you definitely couldn't be there. I'm like, no, all of us should be there. We all need to be there. We're in the same camp, all of us. This is for everyone because Jesus loves us. And so if you're wondering if you've done too much wrong, you haven't. He loves you. If you've come here exploring faith, he loves you. And if you and I believe in him, if we receive what he did on the cross, we can have a relationship with him now and for all eternity. Now, why does that, the first point, the first part of the grid, when I'm speaking about money, my God, Craig, that makes no sense at all. Why? Well, it's because if God loves you and me, that changes everything. If he loves us and he pours out his blessing on our lives, then our response is to love him back. When we realize that he's paid the greatest price on the cross for us, we don't follow him and, and do things for him because we have to, because it's the right thing to do. No, we do it because we love him, just as he's loved us. So when it comes to our money and to our resources, what we do with our money, what we do with our possessions, it's actually a love action. It's going, Jesus, you've done everything for me. I just, out of all of my life, money's just one tiny part, my possessions are one tiny part, and I just get to use them because I love you. I get to demonstrate that I love you through the things that I have. Love changes everything. If we know that he's died for us, the natural response is to want to give back to him in any different ways, in our time, in our resources, in what we have, in our gifts and abilities. We just want to pour it back to him. We're blown away by his love. So that's part one of the grid. The biblical money grid is that you and I have a relationship with Jesus. We can have a relationship and that changes everything in how we operate. So that's the first step. Once you've got that right, the next thing, next thing we move on to is this concept of ownership versus stewardship. So let me up there. You understand that you have a relationship with God, relationship versus religion. We don't live to earn his favor. We live because we have his favor. Next up is this concept of ownership versus stewardship. You know, society says that everything we possess, the money in our bank accounts or in a Zimbabwean mattress or safety deposit box, um, which is a lot more us than anywhere else, the possessions that we own, clothes, cars, houses, businesses, society says, that's mine. I've done it, I've worked hard, I've put in the time, I've put in the effort, I have the skill in generating this wealth, it's mine. I'm the one who decides what to do with it, I'm the one who should enjoy its benefits, I've put in the time. That's society. I've done it all, I am the owner. But actually, scripture says something very different. Scripture would say that we're not the owners of our money and possessions. But God is. That's what scripture says. It says we aren't. A steward, which is what the Bible says we are, is someone who looks after a resource on behalf of the owner. And a good steward is someone who does that well. 
Let's look at some verses on this. Psalm 24, verses 1 to 3 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness of it, the world and those who dwell in it. For he founded it upon the seas and he established it upon the rivers. So Psalms, the King David, one of the great kings of, of biblical times, he says, I recognize that everything is God's. All creation, all ability, my very life, everything is God's. He created it. I didn't create it myself. 1 Chronicles 29 verse 12, both riches and honor come from you, God, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and give strength to all. Another passage, 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 19 to 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own, for you were bought with a price. Jesus died for you at a price. So glorify God in your body, saying, i.e., even our bodies aren't really our own if we've given our lives to Christ. I love this from John Wesley, famous preacher. He says, when the possessor of heaven and earth brought you into being and placed you in this world, he placed you here not as a proprietor, not as an owner, but a steward. And this concept also changes everything in our lives. If we see everything that we have as being a steward of God, that he's given it to us in our short time on earth, he's asked us to be a great steward, to look after us to the best of our abilities. If we see it like that, it changes the way we operate with money and our possessions. It changes it completely. Scripture says we didn't create ourselves, but God did. We didn't choose when we would be born, what family we'd be born into, what nation we'd be born in. We didn't choose our brain, our talents, our opportunities. Sure, we have a role to play. We have to work hard. We use what God's given us. We use it all. But there isn't actually any self-made person in the world. There's only a God-made person. There's no self-made man in the world. There's God-made people in the world. So if we've truly given our wealth and possessions by God to look after during our time on earth, then the way we do that best is by asking him. We ask him. We say, God, how do I be the best steward of what I have? And that could be $10. It could be millions of dollars. It could be renting a house. It could be owning loads of houses. It could be running a business. It could be working in somebody's employment. But we can get before God and we say, God, this is what I have. And actually it's yours. And I want to steward this in the best possible way because it's yours anyway. How do I do that? He'll tell you. You could ask him this week. Even right now, he'll be dropping some thoughts into some of your minds. And, uh, and he'll tell you. He'll tell you exactly how to do it. Last two. The last bit of the grid. So we look at it through owner versus stewardship. The third one is we look at the, with the grid of comfort versus kingdom. Comfort versus kingdom. You see, our society, particularly here in the northern suburbs, but the majority of Western secular society is focused on comfort. That's the price. Comfort is the price. If I can live my life in ease and comfort, then I have it sorted. But sadly, the goalposts keep moving. And what we thought would make us happy and comfortable doesn't quite scratch the itch that we needed it to scratch. We have an insatiable global appetite for comfort that never quite gets satisfied. But we have it. And I'm not saying comfort is wrong. There's wonderful things in life for us to enjoy. Amazing food. I probably mentioned food a bit too much in my preachers. Um, Exploring new places, wonderful homes, reliable cars, and more. God's a good father. He gives us great gifts. But, and this is vitally important, the gifts are not the priority. The father is. The gifts he gives us are not the priority, but he is. And scripture affirms this. Jesus said that the priority is his kingdom over our comfort. He says, I love you so dearly. I died for you. I've given you everything you have to look after and steward for me. But that's not it. There's a mission that I've called you to on earth. There's a great mission 
a kingdom mission I've called you to, and anything short of that will be a wasted life. I've called you to something great, and I want you to be a part of it. Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 10, it says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. And look at this part. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for ourselves to live a comfortable life. No, for good works that he's prepared for us to do. He's got things for you to do in this world. And they're greater than your own life. They're greater than your comfort. The primary of that is Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. Jesus' final words to his followers before he went back to heaven. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's the great works God's called us to, to help other people know him and follow him. You don't ever need to ask, what's my purpose? You don't ever need to ask, what should I be doing in my life? I don't know what to do today. I don't know if I found my purpose. You have, because God's given it. And that can occupy us every day, no matter what our occupation is, no matter what job we're doing, no matter where we live, that is the great global purpose God has given us. And so everything you're good at, every business you run, all the resources that you are, um, that you have, that to help that mission be fulfilled on earth, it makes life so simple and it makes life so clear makes it so simple for us when Jesus says that this is what I've called you to doesn't matter all the different avenues that you do to get there but this is what I've called you to to help people know me and then this changes absolutely everything when it comes to our money that's why I share it this happened in Acts 2 verse 45 people gave their lives to Jesus the start of the early church Acts 2 verse 45 they were selling their possessions and belongings distributing the proceeds to all as anybody had need Acts 4 verse 34, there was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands, of houses, they just sold them and they brought them to the church, the proceeds that were sold. We've had this happen to us at Hope Church in these 10 months. People bringing proceeds and just saying, do with it what you think should be done for the kingdom. It's it's amazing. Brought me to tears the first time it happened. They laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to any as they had need. There's people of this kind at Hope Church and in other churches around the city and around the world live with radical generosity. Mr. Colgate, famous example, the one who made Colgate Palmolive. The end of his life, he was giving basically everything he earned. Started with a bit and by the end, I think he was giving like 98%. Heinz, person who started Heinz, Mr. Heinz, same sort of thing. But these people who just, that's how they wanted to live. To not waste a moment on earth, but to give their resources to what? See the advance of God's kingdom come. That's the priority of all priorities. So fix your eyes on his kingdom rather than your comfort and you'll find purpose and joy rather than frustration. You most definitely will. Billy Graham, famous evangelist of all time, he said, if you show me what your money goes on, I will be able to show you what's most valuable to you. He said, I can easily do it. It's very simple. Where our money, where we spend it shows what's most valuable to us. Final one. Two minutes. Final part of the grid. Earth versus eternity see we live in a world not only fixated on comfort but also fixated on the here and now we want instant gratification we want all the pleasure now this life is all there is so go big while you still have time make a name for yourself be successful upgrade your lifestyle upgrade your holidays upgrade your wardrobe upgrade your vehicles upgrade your home and do it now while you have time on earth because this world is it that's what society says to us and we can buy into that lie so quickly and so easily. But what does scripture have to say? It says 2 Corinthians 4 verse 18. 
it says, fix our eyes not on what is seen, not on earthly things, not on what we see around us, but what's unseen. Since what's seen is temporary. It's going to disappear very soon. But what's unseen is eternal. Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, is where your heart is. If your treasure is built up on earth, that's your focus. You're just focusing for the short time on earth. But if you're focusing on building up treasure for all eternity, that will be your focus. See, Scripture says our lives on earth, they're a mist, they're a vapor. Compared to all eternity, our time on earth is very, very short. And so Scripture says, focus on where it lasts forever. Focus on all eternity and let that focus affect the way that you live on earth. Live and hold your life lightly. And it says actually, not only that, but God's going to reward you for all eternity for the way that you live for him now. Now if we think about it logically, if you could invest your funds now and get a return on earth for 10 years, 20 years or until you die, or you could invest your resources for what will give a return for all eternity forever, in greater ways, the logical answer is heaven. That's where we would invest if we're thinking logically. But why do we struggle? What's the reason we struggle to invest where the rewards are greatest? Why do we invest negatively? Well, number one, maybe we don't believe heaven is as good as Jesus says it will be. Maybe we question, well, actually, God, heaven sounds good, but to be honest, earth's pretty good too, and I'd rather be here than there. One of the questions. Second one, we might just love our lives on earth a little bit too much. We just think life here is a little bit too good. Thirdly, we might believe that money and resources are what ultimately keep us safe and secure. We might have this false pretense that actually our resources are what keeps us safe and, and actually Jesus does. Or fourthly, there might be a status that comes from having and demonstrating wealth and we struggle to give that up too. I'm not sure which may apply to you, but I wanna encourage you to think about eternity. Think about what lies beyond the grave. Think about a world with no pain, no suffering, no evil, and allow that to alter and adjust the way that you think about money, possessions, and resources. Invest where it will last forever. Best investment you can ever make. So that's a little bit about what I call the money grid. If we can see our money and possessions through those four comparisons, having a relationship with Jesus that we have and we live on the back of it, being stewards of what God's given us, not owners, living for his kingdom rather than our own comfort and living with an eternal perspective versus an earthly one. I can guarantee you that you will live wisely, joyously, purposely, generously, and eternally. I can guarantee that's how you will live. So give it a test run this week. Whatever it is, maybe it's a small purchase. You just want a new handbag or a new flip phone. One of my friends had it, you know, those screens. It's Samsung, which obviously is a bit negative, so I wouldn't go that route. But, um, but shame. I mean, he still is getting closer to the Lord and then he'll move to Apple. Uh, but, but, but whatever it is, a purchase, whatever it is that you're thinking about, a new business exploit, a new purchase, put it through that grid and see what God says to you. Do that and see what God says to you because God's gonna challenge and instruct. I wanna close with a great quote from Chuck Swindle. He said, money can buy medicine but not health. Money can buy a house but not a home. Money can buy companionship but not friends. Money can buy entertainment but not happiness. It can buy food, but not an appetite. It can buy a bed, but not sleep. It can buy a crucifix, but not a savior. And it can buy the good life, but not eternal life. Should we stand? Let's pray.
there's one thing that we each need. It's said it in the last bit there, more than anything that earthly possessions could buy. And that is something that we can't earn, we can't buy. It's a free gift of grace. It comes from Jesus. He says, I created you. I want to have a relationship with you now. I want to save you from your sin. I died on the cross for you. Would you turn to me? Would you receive? Would you believe in me? And the trajectory of your life will absolutely change. And if that's you and you're sitting here going, that, that's me. I came here exploring faith. I don't even really know about this Christian stuff. I don't even really know about it. But one thing I know is that there's a feeling in my heart and there's a feeling in my spirit, in my body, that, that, that's just different to what I felt before. And I feel I need to make this decision to follow Jesus. You can do that now. You can do it right now. In your heart, you can just go, God, I don't exactly know what's happening, but I know enough to take a step of faith and to believe. You can come and chat to me afterwards. You can fill in a form. We can meet with you in the week. We can pray for you. But right now, God can transform you so that you have a relationship with him. That's the greatest miracle. That's the greatest gift. But you can't earn it. You can't do good things to get there. You have to receive the free gift of love from Jesus. And you can receive it right now. And for the rest of us, Lord Jesus, as we go from here today, I pray that we would be a people, a band, a motley crew of followers of Jesus, imperfect people following a perfect God where we would allow every part of our lives, our time, our talents, our money, our possessions, we would hold them lightly. We would say, Jesus, would you use the little bit that I have to see your kingdom extended, to see people come to faith, that you would multiply my little like you did with the boy. He had five loaves and two fish. You might think that your $5 is not enough. You might think that you giving or serving and stacking chairs or something on a Sunday is not enough. You might think that in the week visiting somebody who's just lonely is not enough. No, Jesus says, I take the little and I make it big in my kingdom. He doesn't care about, um, about ability. He doesn't care about amount. He cares about availability and he cares about heart. And so, Lord Jesus, would you challenge us? Would you instruct us? You said to us, we can't serve both. We can serve you or we can serve money, but we can't serve half-half. Would we be a people who serve you wholeheartedly and then you'll take care of the rest? Would we live radical lives, sold-out lives as disciples of Christ, that our friends, our families, our business colleagues, they would see the difference when it comes to how we handle money and possessions? Would you help us in this, Jesus, for your fame and your glory? Amen.